Good morning and welcome to the podcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. My name is Bill Vanderbush. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Tracy and I are in Amish country and for this time that means Ohio. I mean it can be Pennsylvania, Minnesota and a number of places but this time it's Ohio and uh, we have been at a wonderful church with some dear friends of ours Lamar and Janet Troyer, who pastor and lead the well in Winesburg, Ohio. If you just ever happen to be in the neighborhood of Winesburg and you want to just go see what loving people look like when they all get together in the same room, honestly, this is one of the kindest groups of people uh, we have ever known. And we just really honor the, uh, the, the ground they've plowed in this area. The reputation that they've built is just being lovers of Jesus, and they just honor people so well. And it's just an amazing, amazing place. And so I've spent the week with some students from their from ministry school, their Bible school, and uh, and just enjoyed watching just the people come to life with an awareness of the goodness of God. As one young student said after the last class yesterday, I want to thank you for assassinating our carnal intellect. <laughs> <laughs> our carnal minds. I just thought that was like, that was the greatest compliment I think I've ever heard. And what fascinating language. All right. I'm uh, stirring with a word at the beginning of this year that Tracy and I have both talked about, and it's the word ascend. And as we're in the middle of what's be- beginning to be another political cycle, uh, you know, and last time that that went around, last couple of times that went around, you, you know how crazy that got. And the church did not get exempt from riding the crazy train during that whole season. And the body of Christ pretty much lost its mind. Uh, and by that, I mean, within the context of even, let's say, for example, the prophetic community, the prophetic community lost pretty much all credibility with anybody who needs to hear the word of the Lord who's not going to hear from them. And they became an echo chamber to the point where it became really, really hard to um, to even convince them they had, they had lost credibility because there were enough people around them telling them what they said still really mattered. And it does. It really does matter to hear the voice of the Lord. But the reality is, is the prophetic was always there to teach you and to teach me that we have access to the mind of Christ. What Paul said the scriptures that you have the mind of Christ it means that you have access to the thoughts of God. And that's really what prophetic ministry is, capturing, catching what is the mind and the heart of God in this situation. You can move and operate by your will and, and express values and behavior that's completely contrary to the values of heaven. And we see that happen all the time when people hurt one another and cause one another pain that becomes a, a problem even within the body of Christ. And so often we operate by our own will and not by the will of God. And so to to catch the mind of the Lord in a matter is really, really important because then we will tap into the heartbeat of God where Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. You love one another like me. That's the deal. Uh, Or love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you and do good to those who mistreat you. And so to tap into and capture the mind of God for any situation where love is what we release over our friends and over our enemies. We just literally walk in the love and the grace of God continually wherever we go. It doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth to people, but we always speak the truth in love. I mean, there's affection, there's honest agape love behind the truth that you speak. People will know. 
And these days, people have a higher value for just simply speaking the brutal truth with an emphasis on the brutality as opposed to the, the, the truth in love. It's an honest, genuine, agape, pure affection. And, and so I encourage you, like in this season, the word for me and, and Tracy has been ascend. And, and what I believe that the Lord is inviting us into is to elevate uh, above the fray of this idea that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but often when we get into conflict, we reduce the conflict to wrestling against flesh and blood. And pretty soon it becomes uh, person against person, and, and now people can't even get along. And and I feel like the Lord's just saying, like, at this moment, it's really, really a big deal that you ascend. And ascend above conflict. It's, it's David in the psalm saying, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. And I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. You don't ascend to defeat your enemy. You ascend to turn your focus and attention back to the face and the presence of the Lord. And it's in that place of the face and the presence of the Lord where we find that ascension leads us to overcoming. David also said in the Psalms, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I preached on all these themes in the past year, but this, this ascending, this raising us up is not that you ascend upward like you have to strive into it, but you ascend into. You ascend into Christ, and that is that your entire perspective and all the focus that you have going on that's causing you all that pain and misery and confusion and whatnot, wherever you happen to be in whatever you, situation you happen to be in, you can, in this moment, just shift your perspective, your attention and your affection to be on the Lord. And in that place where your affection and your attention is on the Lord, you do what David did, and he began to worship God. And that worship of God is, as we talked about last week, this abundance of life doesn't happen because, uh, you know, we're just around the throne 24-7 worshiping constantly. At no point in the Garden of Eden did God say to Adam, I want you to bow down, I want you to worship me, and this is the posture of our relationship. No, but what God did with Adam, as we talked about last week, is that he walked and talked with him in the cool of the day, enjoyed his own creation along with Adam, and gave Adam, second thing, creative freedom to express the creativity that reflected the nature of the creator in whose image and likeness Adam was made. And finally, he gave Adam the beginnings of love-based community where life can flow from that community. And so you and I, if we want to experience abundance of life, Take a moment to just stop for a second, enjoy the Lord and his creation, and take a moment to enjoy the community that God has given you, and then take a moment to allow God to stir within you some new ideas and projects and some things that perhaps may actually be a, a blessing to your household in a way that you would have never imagined. And I believe in all of these ways, we express and experience the abundance of life in Christ, in this place of union and unity with God, where we find ourselves in a posture of no distance and no separation between us and the heart of the Father. The God who sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to make us his home, and thus changing, transforming us from the inside out, from just merely uh, uh, just the human being you thought you were into a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It changes the way we see, it changes the way we do life, it changes the way we experience the Lord. 
And now when we come together for corporate gatherings and somebody begins to sing a song that has been written from that place of a desire to express the heart of the Lord, what's the value in that? If that's if worship is something else, Bill, you might say, what's the value in that? The value in that is that together as one, we be, begin to make a sound, to lift a voice, uh, hundreds of voices together as one in 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 praise to the Lord from a heart of gratitude. It's the expression of gratitude. You know, when you really love somebody, you let them know. When you're grateful for somebody in your life, you let them know. And that's the expression of gratitude that I think the Lord is stirring within us when we come together and gather for worship. We're not worshiping to twist God's arm into doing something he's not currently doing. We're not twisting God's arm into giving something to us that he has not already given. We're actually just acknowledging and honoring this amazing life we've been given, the grace we've been given in it. And worship is our thanksgiving unto God in the middle of every circumstance. Why the Bible says, in everything, give thanks, not for everything. A lot of things out out there, listen, I wouldn't give thanks for a lot of things that are going on in the world that are causing pain and suffering. But in everything, we give thanks. Why do we give thanks? Well, Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want to focus in on that word today, living the life of an overcomer. If we ascend into that awareness that we're one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, And then being an overcomer becomes the revelation of that ascension. You know what I said? We are created to carry the glory of God. And we are also called to be more than just conquerors. So we are overcomers, according to the scripture. In Revelation, we we are told, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I'll grant you to sit with me on my throne. You say, how do we overcome? The Bible said, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so the blood of the lamb is the work of Christ on the cross. What Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection, vicariously, on behalf of you, me, and all of us, what he did was to atone for us once and for all. Hebrews 9 says, once and for all, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he dealt with the sin issue on the cross. And so that right there is the work, the finished work of the cross, what Jesus has done. Past tense is why we call it the good news, which is what the word gospel means. And so that posture of that finished work of the cross gives us the ability to align with him. It says we overcame by the blood of the lamb. That was you there on that cross with and in him. And then it says, and by the word of our testimony. What is the word of our testimony? That's you talking about what Jesus did. That's what I do here every single week. Talking about what Jesus did. And as we release the sound of that testimony into the atmosphere, something amazing begins to happen. The Bible says the entrance of thy word giveth light. And we begin to replicate in a sense what Jesus, what what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did in that moment of creation, hovering over the darkness of formless void and speaking light 
into that. The Bible tells us the light will shine out of the darkness. So don't be threatened when you see the darkness covering the earth and deep darkness covering the people. Why? Because the promise is that light will shine out of the darkness. And where does that come from? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just by being who you are, the light shines out of you. And from that place of identity, being who you are, you speak. And as you speak, what happens? You're releasing the frequency of heaven and the sound of the glory of God comes from the words that you speak from the abundance of your heart. A heart that is a, filled with a revelation of union with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, what happens? You release into the earth an invitation, a sound that becomes an invitation for people to turn their attention and affection to the Lord, to connect once again with their creator, to find themselves in, in that place of beholding his face. And as we're beholding him, we're transformed, the Bible says. We, beholding as in a mirror, are changed from glory to glory. And so then, through that beholding, and through the release of the light of Christ within us and the sound of your spirit, the glory of the earth is the glory of the Lord. He said, surely as I live, listen, heaven and earth should be filled with the glory of God. That's the reality of the glory of God covering the earth just as the waters cover the sea. And the promise is that God will fill the earth with his glory. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you can ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church. And the church isn't a building. The church is you. We are the living, breathing body of Christ. So let's talk about being an overcomer. For the life of an overcomer, you and I is, is connected to the promise of God. In Revelation chapters 1 and 3, there's so many verses, 1 through 3, there's so many verses that speak of our life as overcomers. Let me just give you a couple here. Revelation 2, 7 says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of the garden of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11 says to him who overcomes, you'll not be hurt by the second death. Now stop and think about that for a second. You understand, hell is a reality within the scriptures. And yet, hell has an end. The Bible tells us that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, which is, it goes on to say, the second death. But hell wasn't made for you. Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. In other words, everything that represents darkness, blindness, pain, suffering, all of those things that come against us, that war against us, there is an end to those things. That stuff has a shelf life. But you know what? The glory of God upon you is eternal. It remains forever, abides forever. And so it says to him who overcomes, you'll not be hurt by the second death. It means you don't need to be threatened by darkness. A relationship with God is not uh, based upon, or at least it's not meant to be based on, a, a fear of going to hell. A relationship with God is an unveiling of the love and the grace of the creator of the universe who laid down his own life as a demonstration of the depth of his love to redeem and ransom us in the middle of our blindness, in the middle of our delusion. When you realize who you are in Christ, then you'll see yourself as Ephesians 2 says, seated in heavenly places with Christ. 
where there's no distance and no separation. And from that posture where the light of the world lives in you and you in Christ, then what darkness can possibly even threaten you? Does light even know that darkness exists? How could it? From the vantage point of light, there is no darkness. Darkness flees, can't even be perceived. And when you step into a room aware of what you carry in God and who you are in Christ, darkness that was there is gone. And that room becomes the brightest place on earth. For Christ, the light of the world who is in you, has made you the light of the world. As Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And the reality is, is we can walk in this world as he is. 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. Revelation goes on in Revelation 2, 17. To him who overcomes, says, I'll give you hidden manna to eat. In other words, there's, there's a life that you haven't even tapped into yet, that you haven't even seen. There's goodness of God that you haven't even tasted. It's why Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the ages to come, his intention is to show us the surpassing riches of his grace. There's revelation that we haven't even fully unveiled yet. And goes on to say, and I will give him a white stone and on the stone will be a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. In other words, there's parts of your identity that you haven't fully seen revealed yet. The Bible says it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. The only way to truly know yourself, especially as an overcomer, is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And in the beholding, we're transformed into becoming who we've always been from heaven's perspective. God's never been confused about your identity. He's always known who you are. And when you get confused about your identity, it doesn't shock or surprise him. And it certainly doesn't change his mind about you, but it will warp your mind about God. And it will change your mind and twist your mind about your own identity. And you'll start to convince yourself of your worthless wretchedness when God is trying to convince you that you're a saint, a son, a daughter, a child of his worthy to, to carry the family name. And if he says that's who you are, the question is, who are you going to believe? The lie of your unworthiness or the truth of the word that the Father speaks over you? His creative power has the ability to actually transform you. That's the power of the word of God, the transforming power of the word of God. And when you and I believe what he has spoken, the reality of that word starts to be revealed within our lives. And it's in the, in the surrender to believe in what he said over you that there's transformation that begins to take place. And what has the Lord said over you? Well, he says you're an overcomer for one, and that invites you to be seated in heavenly places with him, to ascend, to shift your perspective, to behold him, to see him. And Revelation 2.26 goes on to say, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. How about that? The reality is that God is looking for people who will release the sound of his heartbeat into the nations. And I'm talking about entire people groups coming to an awareness that their identity is transcendent of the nationality that they thought was the limit of who they are. 
And they begin to realize that their citizenship in heaven actually transcends their citizenship here in any earthly nation or people group here on earth. It transcends all costume-based identities that we carry. Power over the nations. What is this? Not the ability to, to go in and basically take over a country and be its ruler. It's not what he's saying. Power over the nations means that the sound you release will lift people out of the lowliness of the identity that is stuck in a costume-based issue to see themselves as a child of God. That's why we preach the gospel to unveil sonship to every person out there. As we come to the close of this podcast, I want to give you one major way that you can actually tangibly focus in on exercising your life as an overcomer. I want you to think of the character of Joshua in the Bible. I want to read a portion of scripture to you out of Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 10. It says that Joshua did as Moses said to him. He fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when his hand came down, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur, on either side, supported his hand, one on one side and one on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Okay, so this is a practical and supernatural experience. There is an actual battle going on back in the day when people fought with sharp stuff, right? And yet there's a supernatural element to this because Amalek was opposed to the the people of God wanting to destroy them. And Israel is fighting against Amalek here in this valley. And now here comes Moses and he lifts his hands up. And when he does that, Israel prevails. And when his hands go down, they start getting defeated. And so what happens? Aaron and her come alongside and they lift Moses's arms and Joshua prevails. The Israelites win. Okay. Now what's the big deal about the old guy on the hill with his hands in the air that makes such a difference in battle? There's two elements to this battle that we can parallel in the spirit and apply to our lives today. One of them is the support from those who have gone before us. See, Moses carried an authority from a lifetime of faithfulness with God. And when you see people around you who have a lifetime of faithfulness with God, doesn't mean they haven't made mistakes. But recovering from those mistakes have continued to walk faithfully with God. In other words, they haven't thrown their faith away. They haven't cast aside their confidence in the Lord, but they have renewed their confidence. And they have made, maybe have made dozens of mistakes, but they've renewed their confidence in the Lord. They continue to walk with God. When you see somebody with a lifetime of faithfulness to the word of the Lord, let them speak into your life. Let them in on the battles that you have. And that I means like, listen, Moses isn't swinging a sword. He's up on the hill and he's watching over this battle that's happening. But he is standing, in a sense, in the gap for Joshua and the Israelites. And you need people in your life who will stand for you. Who can You can see that they see the battle I'm in and they're not criticizing of me but rather 
they are lifting their hands and drawing attention, drawing attention to the Lord. So there's something, and, and even, listen, in this case, you've got Aaron and her on either side of, of Moses, and they're holding his arms up. These two guys are holding up the arms of their friend. And so what you're seeing is, is actually a father in the faith who has strong relationships around, who themselves are being being encouraged by other people. They draw life from the encouragement of their own community. In other words, they're not an island. They're not some isolated island unto themselves. But they themselves have developed the kind of community who will stand there and hold their arms up too as they are blessing you. And then how did Joshua defeat the enemy? Well, in a practical way, defeated the enemy with the sword in battle. But you and I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a different day. We're in a completely different age here. This is not a time to wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a time for us to to recognize the spirituality going on in every moment, even when there is battles. It's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual issue. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 to give us a hint as to what our sword is. It says, for the word of God is living and active, full of power. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, or the very deepest parts of our nature. It says, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, what have we just read? The word is a sword. A couple of different things here. First off, the word is a person. The word is the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, John says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God revealed in Christ, which is the incarnation, is the word made flesh and dwelt among us, as John goes on to say. So Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Thankfully, we have a written record inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is a written word of God, a record of God's dealings with man, of God's covenants with man. And so we have the living word living in us by his Holy Spirit. We have the written word given to us. And the spirit and the word, the Bible says, agree. So, if we read the written word without the living word, we find ourselves in all kinds of mess because we're just guessing about what this stuff means. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season. In other words, have this word, the living word and the written word, be the foundation from which you proclaim what happens when you preach from the scriptures with the power of the Holy Spirit. That Bible in those people's hands becomes the life-giving roadmap to an understanding of the nature and the character of God, revealed by his spirit, confirmed by his word. And this is the importance of the scripture. God will never contradict his word that he's spoken. Whenever he speaks a word over your life from his spirit, the word, the written word, will confirm what the living word has spoken. And the living word will reveal what's hidden within the written word. They work together. And it's very, very, I would say, dangerous to divorce one from the other. You put the two together and you discover that God has given us this beautiful scripture this as a gift to us. 
And it's either the letter that kills or the spirit that gives life, that causes this written word to come to life and become like a meal for you. Okay, so what happens with Joshua? Joshua uses a sword to defeat his enemies. What do we do? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we do with the scriptures? We release from from our heart through the scriptures a word that puts the enemy to flight, that sends demons scattering the power of the word of God from your heart, spoken through your mouth, confirmed in the scriptures, suddenly breaks the power of darkness, enforcing the victory of the cross in every area of our life. This is how we live and walk and move as overcomers with an ascended perspective, our eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, I'm at the end of my time today. Listen, I feel like I just have so much more I want to share with you, but um, that's what other teaching times are for. So rest in, soak in, meditate on what you've heard today, what you've learned today. Go back and and slow it down, pause it at times, take notes and study. You can fill up an entire journal with this 30 minutes today. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that this time would just be sealed in our heart. Lord, that your spirit would make this come alive to us and that we would live as as ascended overcomers, just continually, continually abiding in your presence, beholding your face. Thank you, Jesus, for being such a good savior. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you want to write to us, write to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. The address again, Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. If you'd like to support our ministry online, you can do so at BillVanderbush.com. Go to the Give page. There's a Give button there. And uh, you can process it through Faith Mountain Ministries right there. And we thank you so much for partnering with us, for praying for us as we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we find an open door. This is Bill Vanderbush. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.